chapter 6, verses, or 9, verses 6 through 15. And we have been going through this book for a little while now, and actually both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, so we've made our way quite quite far through these, these two letters that we have, and there's other letters referenced by Paul, but these are the ones in God's wisdom he's given for us uh, to unpack and to, to know how to live life well before him. So let's take a look at this section. Certainly you can follow along here on the screen or in your own Bibles as well. This, God, this is what God's Word says. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gifts. This is the word of God. Pray he adds his blessing not only to the reading of it, but as we consider it together as well. If you'd like to follow along in your mother tongue, and if you don't speak English as a first language, there is the code for you to put in there. And if you need help, anybody can help you. Um, Well, let's take a look at this passage. Bill Murray, does anybody know who that is? He was an American actor, I suppose a comedian as well, said that the best way to teach your kids about taxes is by eating 30% of their ice cream. (laughs) I suppose that's probably pretty true. Now, I'm guessing that the child doesn't like that action, which is part of teaching them about taxes, I guess, and... So when we get to this section, you know, Paul has been saying, you know, what's the best way for a believer, somebody following Christ, to manage their giving and their contributions? And it's not quite the same answer, of course, nor is it the same motive. And that's what he's been exploring. Paul is so consumed with the gospel from the beginning. He has said, here's the good news of Christ. And he's been talking about that all the way through 1 Corinthians, and then as we've gone through 2 Corinthians, he's consumed with the grace of God, the grace that affects absolutely everything. And last week we talked about three ways that the gospel shapes you as Paul was dealing with the collection of money that has been given by these people in Corinth 
Uh, and he's been storytelling, as we said last week, about the churches in Macedonia, uh, Philippi being one of those churches. You may be familiar with that. Uh, Thessalonica, another one, and Berea that he planted. And they heard about people in Jerusalem a long way away. In fact, many of them Jews, and they were ethnically Gentiles, who were going through a difficult time. And they heard about this, and their hearts responded with a desire to meet the need of the day. So Paul, in this entire chapter we've been looking at back in chapter 8, has been telling them, you're doing a good thing. And the motivation for it, the, the linchpin for that, is the grace of Christ. For though Christ was rich, he made himself poor, so that you, out of his grace, out of his his riches that he's poured out would not know poverty, but instead you'd know riches. So the idea is we receive the grace of God because Christ condescended to us, poured himself out. Now we can know what it's like to walk with God. We have all the riches that are given. And so we imitate that as well by giving generously to others. But the motive then, as we've said the last couple of weeks, is the grace of Christ. We're not doing anything he hasn't already done. And in fact, it's the very reason why we can step into this. So it's not a 30% of ice cream scenario. This is Christ has given all. And so all that we have belongs to him. And we steward that accordingly. So if you were to ask Paul, why should we give? Why should we sow? Why sow generously? Now, there's a lot going on in there if you speak, do speak English. I was thinking of why so generous, S-O, or why so generously, S-O-W, or why S-O, it's that kind of stuff too. So double entendre, you know, <laughs> going on heavy action there. But why, why should you sow or scatter generously? How would Paul answer that question? And he's very practical. Uh, it seems like in these verses he's effectively saying, because there's no downside to it. Only good can come from you being a generous giver. Now, you may have less in the account or in your back pocket, that's true, but the gospel often transcends mathematical equations. It's, it's, it's amazing. God, the gospel takes these equations that we think this is how things work and turns them upside down. You know, the, if you have poverty of soul, well, then you're really rich. Who inherits the earth? Not the people who are out there trying, the meek. The humble. You can just read Matthew 5 through 7 with that lens and say it's all upside down. And so it's not a surprise here that the same thing is happening. The gospel transcends mathematical equations. You give and it's gone, but it's going to come back to you. There's a section in, in the gospels where Jesus talks about this. You know, a good measure, press down, shake it. You give it out, it's going to come back to you. It was a great song that's associated with that as well. And that's the concept, that's the idea here that Paul is taking to another level as he continues to talk about why so generously. There's no downside. The gospel shapes everything, and that even shapes our view of material resources. It just changes the way we think about our stuff. For one, we're stewards, but for another... In the very act of giving itself, we reflect Jesus. So giving itself is a blessing. No matter what comes, I mean, it's true, you, you reap what you sow. But in the actual sowing, that is a part of the reaping. Does that make sense? 
It, it may or may not, but let me try to give you another example of this. And this may not apply to you. But stereotypically, uh, men and women have different ways of approaching a problem that needs to be fixed. It, it, this is just a stereotype. It may not fit you um, at all. But let's pretend that you're a husband and a wife, and a wife comes home, and the wife has a situation that she is processing, and there's been some sort of trouble at work, and, and there's, uh, you know, somebody's causing some sort of an issue, and, uh, and, and so the, the husband receives that. And oftentimes, a husband will think, I've got a fix for that scenario. Let's fix it. So you tell, tell you know, your, 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 your lovely wife, okay, well, I can fix that. Here's what you need to do. And, and sometimes there's friction that comes as a result of that because apparently for some people, um, there's not a desire to fix the problem, at least not immediately. What that individual is looking for is just somebody to listen and to validate and to ask more questions. And so there's, there's this, you know, you can look this up too, whatever, and be funny to watch it, I suppose. But here's the thing I've tried to learn, because I'm just, this is just theoretical and hypothetical, <laughs> is listening, listening is the solution. And I, I have to tell you, that's quite helpful for me, because... Okay, now I have fixed something by listening. Don't totally understand, <laughs> but if I can get some buy-in mentally for that, that's helpful. So I've learned to ask the question in this theoretical relationship, <laughs> are you looking for a solution or do you just want me to listen? I just want you to listen, okay. Then I have to translate that into, okay, I'm solving the problem by listening. <laughs> you can't do a little mind Jedi trick type stuff going on here, but... You know, some of you can identify with that. Listening is the solution. And Paul is just saying, giving is the blessing itself. You image and reflect God as you give. And so when you're saying, what do I get for giving? The giving itself is the blessing. There's more. But wait, there's more. Because Paul says it's not just that. But sometimes it might be. That just imaging Christ in the giving is the blessing itself. You've disenfranchised yourself with the stuff of the world. And you said Jesus matters more. Obeying him, but also giving to those who have a need. That is the blessing. It's not only that, but at least includes that. So, Paul, then, why so generously? Well, let's just look at this for a couple of minutes together. And he makes it very clear in the first Verses, verses 6 through uh, 7 there too, that you reap what you sow. Why, why, why should I sow generously? Now the image here is of a, a farmer who is planting seeds. And I don't know if you have a garden at home, just a tiny little garden maybe. If you put one tomato seed in there, what do you expect on the return? You're not going to get much. If you put a lot of them and you water and you take care of it, well, you probably get a pretty big crop, but you're not going to get anything if you go out and start planting and you haven't put any seed or start watering and there's no seed in there. And so that's an agricultural reality we can probably all understand. Paul says that's the analogy here. Sowing seeds in God's kingdom, giving financially to the needs that are made known, and just giving generously and sacrificially is how you bear fruit in the kingdom. That's the seed, it's generous giving, in the realm of finances. That's what's sown. That's, just, that's what he's been, the, the whole context is, 
You're going to reap what you sow, so sow generously. So what is reaped? And it may be material blessings, but that's not the only or even the central focus of the kingdom. That's why I spent some time on the front end talking about that. It could be. It actually could be that it comes back to you in material blessings. But God's economy from the beginning is not rooted only in the physical stuff. And in fact, we know many wealthy people who are quite miserable, don't you? And many poor people who are very spiritually healthy and alive, maybe because they've given much, and what they get in return is something very different than a larger bank account. Because the Bible's image of a good life has to do with quality, not quantity. That's kind of from beginning to end as well. You can look at that all throughout the scriptures. Just think of Psalm chapter 1, the the picture of a person with a flourishing life. When things come that are difficult, your roots are deep so that you aren't shaken. That could be financial, perhaps. Because your trust is not in money, but in God. And sometimes our trust then needs to be demonstrated as in God by giving generously. And so what you, what you get as a, as a result is, is maybe a new mindset even on the stuff that you have, realizing this isn't what life is all about. And sometimes you can't get that unless you give. And your heart's torn. You're like, why did I do that? And God's working. He's kneading into you a, a picture, an image of the grace that's been given to you even in Christ. That's part of what reaping can look like. And even here, the one who sang it, Paul, he says to one of the Macedonian churches, those of you who know your Bibles in, in the book of Philippians, that was one of the Macedonian churches that demonstrated generosity. Such a, a great passage where he deals with whether I have plenty or whether I'm in want. I've learned the secret of being content. Well, that's, that's some serious reaping going on right there. That even if you don't have a lot in your bank account or pantry, you can be content. What greater blessing is there than that? That's elusive to so many people who are focused only on a 401k or a 529 or whatever other numbers are out there. And it's not to minimize the value of wise stewardship, of course. You've got to take this in the context. But if you think that that sowing is going to put a claim on God so he has to give you something that equals a bank account, well, then you've become God. And you're demanding that he serve you. It's one of the problems with what's called the prosperity gospel. And some of you maybe have heard this too, that if you were all to open up your you know, wallets and your bank accounts and throw everything in here to give to Redeemer Church, God's going to give you a lot more back in return. But see, you're giving so that you can get only. And the basis of this is a principle that comes out of a reflexive response to the grace of God in Christ. And one of the realities is you do get when you give that way, but it's not exactly in the demanding sort of fashion that apparently you're putting on God himself. We don't want to become God and him our servant. And we don't want to also assume that physical blessings are naturally superior to, phys- to spiritual ones. And sometimes they, they can be, and I know that's what we want, but one of the reasons that we go through difficulties, the Bible says, is so that we can learn to trust 
God better. What do we value more? A deeper trust in God or our health? Or the status of a bank account? It's a question we have to ask, and Paul, I think, is pressing them for that as well. So Paul says here, look, what's given is never lost. It's sown. When you sow, that in and of itself is a blessing. And he'll say some more reasons about why that's the case. And so it stands to reason, if you believe you're sowing, we'll reap a harvest. And it's something you may not even see. There's an excitement to doing it. Sometimes, of course, that's hard to measure. I don't know how many of you know, I mean, just I became a follower of Christ in what, the very late 80s, early 90s, and so started listening to Christian music and going to church, and at that time, a song called Thank You by Ray Bolts was very, pop- very popular. I don't know if any of you know that song, um, and it's totally 90s type stuff going on, uh, late 80s or whatever, but just a little piece of it, he, said, he, he has a picture of going to heaven in this song, and there's a long line of people coming up saying thank you to, to him. And he didn't even, he's like, why are you saying thank you? To me, it was kind of the idea. And part of it goes, thank you. One by one they came, as far as the eye could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth, in heaven now proclaimed. So these little things that maybe nobody's taking notice of that are huge, right? It's a long list. And so how long's your line, I wonder. You know, sometimes you wonder, uh, like if you had, could see your own eulogy or a funeral. Is anybody showing up or something like that? So you are, there is, it may not be seen, it may not be observed right now, but none of it's wasted when you're giving to God's kingdom. No wonder he includes verse 7 immediately afterwards. Because he wants us to make sure this is a reflexive response. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, if you have the perspective that what I'm, what I'm sowing in and of itself is not just a blessing, but the excitement of what God's going to do even if I can't see it, if you have that picture of it, then there isn't this kind of, ugh, now i got to give. It's, it's a thrill. I don't know what God's going to do with this, and maybe I'll find out in heaven. But I know he's going to do something. You know, later there's a reference to Isaiah 55, which talks about God's word does not return void. And neither does your giving. But I can tell you sometimes when you deliver God's word, it feels like it's going void. Why aren't you all responding? And by you, I mean me. <laughs> to God's word. But it isn't. We have the assurance it is It's serving a purpose. I don't know when or how, but I know it is. Gerald Bray quoted somebody, Maximus of Turin, from a long time ago, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. He said, Christ's debtor then is joyful, and Caesar's taxes, kids, 30% of your ice cream. Caesar's sad because love urges the one to payment and punishment constrains the other. The one's invited by rewards, the other compelled by penalties. Love is urging us to give. But the other one, we're being forced to do that. There's a penalty if we don't. And that text deadline is coming up. But we always have an opportunity to give. 
And Paul goes on to say, look, there's some more reasons to sow generously. In, in this next section, he talks, there's a lot of alls that are going on here. Did you notice that while we're reading it? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And he'll supply and increase, it says in those next verses, your store of seed, enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So we see here that when you sow generously, it's an opportunity for you to see God's grace abound. How? In his provision for you, he provides. Even as you give, he is providing. And perhaps you see it more clearly because you're giving. I know there have been times for me too when you say, I can't afford this, but I'm going to give. Just I know it's the right thing to do and I trust God will provide. And then you're looking for his provision in a clearer way than you ever would have before. And there it is. When we give faith promise, that's part of what, if you're doing that, I think happens. We don't know where this is going to come from. And then you're looking to see where it is. So you're observing the way that God is providing. Otherwise, it's pretty easy for you to give yourself credit for the provision. You know? You're self-sufficient. So this act of giving shows you and actually gives you opportunity to see him provide. There are probably plenty of stories that you could share about that. And it not only does that, but it also aids in your own growth. I mean, you have everything that you need. Why? So you can abound in every good work. And what are you reaping? Well, there's some provision there, it says, obviously, about increasing your, your seed. But as well, it's enlarging the harvest of your righteousness. That's, that's a word that's talking about the things that you do. You're, good. You're being shaped more in the image of Christ in the act of giving. And that is an opportunity for you to grow. So, if the reverse is true, that if you're being stingy and not giving, you may not grow as much. You may not have a sense of how God is providing. You not, might not be looking for it. If you can explain everything away, what occasion is there for faith in God? It's not a testing in that sense, although it kind of is also, isn't it? The only time in the Bible... When we're invited to test God's in the area of financial giving. In the book of Malachi. Go ahead and test me. See if I don't provide for you. It might be interesting to see if somebody could stand up here and say, I gave a lot to God and he's never provided for me. And now I'm completely destitute and poor. The reverse is more likely. I've given so much and God has outgiven me too. There's story after story of that reality. He gives you what you need. We prayed the Lord's Prayer. Christ knows we have a need for daily bread. God, give me my daily bread. And in that context, too, help me to invest in the kingdom. May your kingdom come. That is very different than only the physical. It includes so much more. And Paul notes that in giving there is no loss, but rather an increase in your store of seed and in enlarging the harvest of your righteousness. So when you give generously, you're reflecting God's gracious character and also the way that God's community, the church, reflects that character in his actions. There's a couple of Old Testament quotes here. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. 
That's from Psalm 112. And I thought there was an interesting note here in the ESV study Bible uh, about this particular psalm where it says, there the commentator says, the psalm shows why they should not fear. Because God will honor and care for them. And a lot of times when we give, if we give generously or sacrificially, we fear, don't you? I'm not going to have enough to whatever. And so here's a psalm that Paul's drawing from saying, hey, God's going to provide. He's going to care for you. It shows, in addition to that, a lovely community orientation that provides a stark contrast to the ugly selfishness that Paul had to correct in 1 Corinthians. Yeah, back in 1 Corinthians, there's a lot of selfishness. He says there's no room for that in a gospel community. And one of the ways that we start unpacking God's grace is in giving. Something melts our hearts just a bit and connects us to others as well. So the New Testament community now transcends national and ethnic boundaries, including people of all kinds who believe in Jesus. So last week I I gave you a challenge, if you're a Redeemer, to go visit another church. And it could be that some of the people not here today are at other churches. That's fantastic. Let's chalk it up to that's where they are this morning. And I I don't know if you received that in your bulletin, uh, because we had kind of a limited number of the printouts. We'll get them again next week. There were four churches on there. And the, the challenge was for you a couple of things. One, to go to a church where you feel like you're in the minority. And I said, if you feel that way here, no, no need to go somewhere else. Just keep coming. Uh, but it's good for us to see that God is at work in different ways and different people groups, even in the same city and, of course, all throughout the world, and understand a little bit more of what it's like to have that experience. That's kind of the reason for it. But here we, we see here that this community transcends all those barriers. And it's Fascinating that Paul's looking back to the Psalms and drawing from that to say this applies to you as you give generously now. God is doing something in a community. And and the next verses kind of underscore the reality of what comes from that kind of generosity and cross-pollination in many respects. He says, you should sow generously because you supply the needs of God's people. You have an opportunity when that need arises to supply the needs of God's people, but more than that, you you give them an occasion for thanks and praise. He says that very clearly here. This service you perform, the giving, is not only supplying the needs of God's people, so it is doing that. It's supplying a need, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. That's the correlation. When you give, if you're on the receiving end of giving... It, it, it leads to thanks. And God, thank you for praying for me. I mean, for committing to do that. I thank God for that. That's huge. See, you've given. And, and I'm responding with praise and gratitude. And the same is true in this context as well. And there's a, an enlarging uh, a sense of commitment to each other that transcends just that proximity. See, this gift is going to people a long way away who are very different except they're in Christ and they're brothers and sisters. And when that gift is received, what Paul says is going to happen, those people are going to recognize these people we don't even know have provided for our needs and we know they're poor as as well. We're going to give you thanks. It's going to result in praise to God. And the Jerusalem believers, their hearts are going to be opened up in praise not only to God, 
But the names of those believers are going to be on their lips in their prayers to God. Saying thanks for them. Thanks for that, those churches in Macedonia. Thanks for the church in Corinth. Because we have needs met that we could not meet on our own. And you worked in God's people, even in their poverty, to image God and be rich in their sharing and generosity with me and with us. It's a love fest of sorts that goes on when you have the opportunity to provide and receive. And it just leads to gratitude. So some of you remember Hurricane Katrina. And I meant to get some pictures that I was going to put up here. I'm remembering that right now. Uh, of some images. I went down with a handful of people in response. Maybe a team of seven or eight. Uh, to a, a disaster response to Hurricane Katrina. Devastating. And some of you have maybe been in disaster response places before. Where something is hit and just it's just it, stuff's just gone. I mean, it's, it's so hard to, to, like anything else, explain to you without seeing it. But some of you saw the pictures or know there's other tragedies that happen across the world like this as well. So we, we went down, and this is when um, we had three kids. We have four, four children now, and uh, left my wife and kids and was helping these people. And one of the couples that we were helping, uh, I remember the man's name, his name was Lauren, had a house that had been, wasn't completely destroyed, but it had been flooded, you know, so, so high, and so it had to be gutted, and it was all the black mold and all that kind of stuff, too. And they were living in a, a tiny, tiny little trailer out beside, behind their house while they were waiting for either the, you know, FEMA to show up or, in, in their case, uh, other brothers and sisters, and they happened to be followers of Christ. They were attached to one of our sister churches as well, so we said we'll come in and do the best we can to help. Uh, so we were just working with them, o- older man, just sweet, sweet old guy. Uh, and uh, while we were working with them at the same time, and they had pretty much nothing left, I got a phone call back home that our basement had flooded, uh, backed up with sewage. And this was not an ideal scenario, of course, by any means. A tree root had broken a line, and it was backing up. And I got that phone call while we were getting supplies and came back. And, of course, my mind, I must have looked a little distracted because Lauren said, Mark, what's wrong? And I said, does my face show something wrong? You know, I'm like, it's like yeah, I can tell what's, I said, well, you know, I just got this phone call from my wife, and this is what's going on. And he said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, you know, whatever. So... Maybe the next day or whatever, they had us over for a little meal, you know, and everything. And Lauren said, hey, come on over here, Mark. And he slid me an envelope. And it was cash that he was giving me to repair, help repair this stuff back in Ohio. He had nothing. It was all gone. And he said, I want to give to you. I want to give to you. And I'm like, this is not, it's one of those situations where like, I won't accept this. This is wrong. You need it more than I. You know, it's like, don't deny me the blessing of giving you this gift. And I got to tell you, it was nice to get. We, 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 we didn't, you know, I mean, we're just kind of making ends meet type thing too. And I'm able to call up Jill and say, you're not going to believe what just happened. These people have nothing. Just gave us so that we could repair that. I mean, that to me is just a beautiful picture of God getting a hold of somebody's heart and saying, how can I give to somebody else? So two, two easy takeaways from this message. 
If you're into practical application, that's super practical. Increase your giving. Your planned giving. I mean, why not? Paul would say, so generously. What have you got to lose? If you start thinking $100 a month, then you're not doing the gospel math. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And the other thing maybe is just, why don't we just look for a need that we can meet that comes our way? You know, wouldn't it be fun, even over the course of this next week, to look for a need? I'm guessing God will bring it to you. And if you can do that, look for it. Meet that need. And I don't know if that means paying for somebody's coffee behind you, perhaps, doing something, or something that's just even more obvious. So if you have it, and God has put you in that, of course, let his spirit work in your heart in that way to do that. Now, all of this comes not out of because somebody told you to or because you feel guilty if you don't, but the grace that has been demonstrated by God in, the, in Christ. That's it. That's what we need to latch on to. And some, sometimes to get there, we need to do things and our heart will catch up. But one of the reasons we want to make sure you understand the gospel is because this, at the end of the day, it's just reflexive. It's not a 30% ice cream tax that a parent is leveraging over a helpless individual. Right? It's not sending them out you know, Halloween so you can eat 90% of the candy and that kind of stuff, too. This is an opportunity for us to say, wow, we get to give out of the much that we've received in Christ. That's fun. And you may not see the measurable reaping, but God guarantees it, it's there. It may not be revealed till later, or it might even be revealed more quickly. In God's economy, we don't know how that all works out, but we know it does. And that's part of building our faith in Christ as well. Father, I 